Hello, and welcome to the Legal Helm Podcast. Today, Ben welcomes prominent legal tech evangelist Colin Levy to the show. In this episode, you'll learn the best ways to go about implementing new technology at law firms to improve ROI, as well as why a user-centric approach is crucial when doing so. And now, on to the show. Today, I'm here with Colin Levy. He is Director of Legal and Evangelist at Malbec, an AI contract management vendor. Colin, if you don't know him already, is a prominent voice in the legal technology space and has also got his own blog at colinslevy.com. If you have a moment, go check it out. There's some really valuable content, interviews, etc. that Colin has contributed to the legal technology space, which is really interesting to read about and listen to. So, Colin, thank you, first of all, for, for being here today. We're really excited to be talking to you. I think it's really fair to say that you've not followed the conventional career path of a qualified lawyer. So I'd be really interested for you just to kind of start with telling us about your journey and uh, how that's led you to what you do today at Malbec. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, the, the journey I engaged on was not the one I envisioned for myself when I was in law school, but I don't regret any of it. So I graduated from law school in 2010 into what was then not a great legal job market here in the U.S. Uh, I was at the tail end of the Great Recession here in the U.S., which was not a great time economically. I struggled to find a job at first because I didn't want to work for a firm. I wanted to work in-house. However, traditionally, to work in-house, you need experience. So I was kind of caught in a catch-22 because I needed experience. And to get experience, I needed to have a job. But to get a job, I needed to have experience. So... In an effort to try to get myself out of that situation, I took on a number of different temporary roles that all exposed me to different areas of the law and different types of skills I knew I was going to need to be a lawyer in-house. So I took on jobs in litigation document review, in compliance, in contract management, and they all contributed to me, I would say, acquired all the different sets of skills I knew I was going to need to work in-house. And so when I did finally get my first in-house role, I was as well prepared as one can be for their first in-house role. And since then, I've taken on a number of different roles, all with an eye towards learning more, being more involved in the tech space. And because my roles focused in the tech industry, I saw the interplay between technology and other types of opportunities. And so I really wanted to learn more about the relationship between technology and the law because it seemed odd that the legal industry didn't really have much of a relationship with technology, yet technology was impacting so many other industries in ways large and small. So because of that curiosity, I sort of started to take it upon myself to learn more about people involved in the space, started talking to them, having conversations with them, learning about what they were doing. And through those conversations, I started writing about my thoughts on that relationship. And that sort of set my course off into legal tech. And it's been a wild journey since then, but it's been one I've thoroughly enjoyed and continue to be challenged by and really enjoy being on because I'm always learning something new every day. In terms of your role at Malbec, I love your title, first of all, like Director of Legal and Evangelist. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's a typical day at Malbec for you and what kind of things are you involved in, in terms of your current role? Absolutely. So every day it's different, which is one thing that I love about my job. One day it could be reviewing a vendor contract and reviewing a contract with a potential customer and then perhaps writing a blog post or a podcast to speak about contract management and how 
thinking about it and perhaps even implementing a contract lifecycle management tool. Another day I could be involved in dealing with the data privacy issue, again, writing some kind of longer post or assisting with uh, a couple of relationships with customers that are skeptical, perhaps of making the move to CLM or already have a CLM that are interested in moving to us and assisting with them sort of understanding why they should be looking at us. Every day is completely different, but it's really nice to have sort of this balance of doing some legal work and also some marketing, writing and content creation work as well, because it's, you know, for me, life is all about balance and finding a, a way to sort of enjoy all the things that I enjoy doing. And this job affords me to basically do all those things each and every day, which is great. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. It sounds like the role was made for you, right? Because it plays to all of your strengths, which is really, really great to hear. But one of the things that you've kind of passionately spoken about on your blog and through various other speaking engagements that you've done in the past is around legal technology and bridging that gap, as you mentioned, between what a firm needs in terms of technology versus what they're going to get out of it in terms of return on investment. I'd love to get your initial thoughts for law firms, legal departments out there that are looking to technology to improve business processes, bring in further efficiencies, maybe lower the cost of doing business through the use of technology or a technology investment. What's your advice on where to start, right? Because it can be a minefield in terms of the the number of technology solutions that vendors are, are kind of throwing into a law firm or a legal department to try and solve problems, but there's such a variety and such a growth in terms of the number of solutions that are physically out there, knowing where to start can be quite challenging, but you're good to get your view on that and any advice that you would give to a firm starting on that journey, what is the ideal starting point? Sure. Well, my advice, if you are looking to learn more about legal tech or look at a particular tool is understand what the outcome it is that you're trying to achieve. You know, you really want to understand kind of what good looks like or what the ideal outcome looks like and let that guide your search and let that guide kind of how you evaluate tools. Don't start by looking at technology. Start by understanding the existing state of play, where the pain points are that you're seeking to solve, why they exist. And then in an ideal world, what would it look like without those pain points? And after you've done that sort of due diligence work, then let that inform how you evaluate potential tools and where you look for potential tools. Because legal tech is a very wide, broad world. It's always evolving. And there are a lot of different technologies that exist out there. And so if you kind of just start looking at technology without really understanding why you're looking at different technologies, it can be overwhelming and confusing and you may end up with a solution in search of a problem. You really need to understand what the problem is you're trying to solve first. And that starts with understanding the lay of the land and then what an ideal outcome looks like. Because I think sometimes people think that technology can just solve any problem of any sort when that's really not the case. Technology can solve specific problems, but you need to know what problems you have to be able to understand and evaluate what tools out there that exist that could potentially help you solve those problems you have. Hey John, how do I find out what we've invoiced my client? How can I view my outstanding whip? How do I submit my expenses again? Do we have next Monday off? It's exciting to have fresh faces at your law firm, but onboarding them takes a lot of time and a lot of energy when everyone is remote. You're busy enough as it is. Helm360 has the solution. Just ask Termi. Helm360's next level chatbot solution for knowledge management. Termi can answer many of your new hires questions for you without distracting you or anyone else at the firm. This means fewer frantic emails, fewer help desk tickets, 
more time and more focused productivity for everyone at the firm. Working with Termi, you can have those eager new employees up to speed in a snap. They may never need to ask you a question again. Check out helm360.com forward slash Termi to see Termi in action and find out how it can make onboarding new hires as easy as sending an email. That's excellent advice. So when we're thinking about that problem definition and really kind of storyboarding some of those pain points, how do you suggest that we get better engagement from the opinions of the people that matter? And what we've seen happen in some firms is they take the approach of, okay, let's define the problem, but it's taking a third party view of, of defining the problem for the whole business. And some of the challenges that I see time and time again is getting engagement from the right stakeholders, right, to be able to provide input into that process. And I'm just interested to get your view on that in terms of, have, have you seen that in your career so far and any strategies, any recommendations in terms of how to bring those users closer to that problem definition to make sure that it, you're actually solving a real problem? It starts with kind of not trying to solve all problems at the same time. It starts with understanding a specific problem that a specific group of people are having and letting them define the problem for you instead of you defining the problem for them. So what I mean by that is talk to this specific group, get to understand them, how they work and how they would like to be working and why, and have them be a part of your process with respect to looking at potential technologies. In other words, have them be a part of the evaluation process, have them play a role in providing input and providing evaluation, because at the end of the day, you want the technology tool that you end up using or end up purchasing, I should say being used by those who you want to be using it. And that can only happen if the potential users are part of the process from the get-go, therefore feel like they have the skin in the game and their input is being valued. Because often what I think happens is you have someone who it's all about technology and thinks that this tool will be great for the company. They put it in place and then it's not used by anyone because the users weren't made part of the process. Alternatively, you can also have the other problem where, as I sort of alluded to, where you have uh, a lot of problems you're trying to solve and think that one tool can solve all those problems when in fact, it doesn't actually solve any of those problems at all. It, it may perhaps make a little bit of difference. It may not make a difference at all, or it may even make things worse. So I really think you need to be specific with your intentions and stay focused on those intentions all the way through and not try to solve everything all at the same time. You know, technology is not a panacea. It's not just something that you can just put in place and will magically Make all your problems go away. It may not even make the problem you try to solve go away, but it may help make it less of a problem. And so you need to go in with that sort of understanding, I think, and really make sure that your intended users are part of the process from the get-go and that they're being heard when you're looking at potential technology solutions. Yeah, that's great advice. I remember a, a client I worked with a few years ago and they were implementing a legally RP solution who I, I won't mention what, what the name is, but they were implementing a solution and they spent a lot of time thinking about this particular problem in terms of how do we get the right engagement level and get the right stakeholders involved. And there was a managing partner that we were working directly with and he was very vocal throughout the, the kind of engagement process um, and in designing some of the things that his team were really going to be responsible for and taking ownership of. So, for example, like the billing workflow, he was very involved in and designing the forms the way he wanted them to be designed so that all of the workflow steps made sense to them and that they could take ownership of stuff that previously would have been handed off to a billing secretary, for example. They wanted to really take ownership of it. And what was interesting was even though they had that engagement level once they went live and when I went to check in with that firm three months after go live, I asked that managing partner how much of that product they loved because they were obviously part of that process. 
And his answer to me was pretty interesting, Ray, and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. And that was that the solution's great, does exactly what it says on the team. We love the way that the workflow is designed and it's all functional. But to be honest with you, Bim, we don't use it. And I was like, why? Why are you not doing it? And he said, well, it takes me three or four clicks to get to the point that I can just write a little note to my secretary and he or she is going to basically do that for me much quicker, right? And my time is precious. So I don't really want to be spending time doing that. So all of that time investment to build the solution didn't really make sense just because the user experience was either a little frustrating for him or too long-winded. Does that resonate with you in terms of like the importance of not only getting the the kind of time investment to define the problem, but actually the solution needs to be something that actually makes sense as well in terms of the simplicity of design. Absolutely. That resonates really strongly with me because I'm a huge proponent of user-centered design. And I think users sometimes get, I wouldn't say ignore, but sometimes their input isn't as valued as it should be. Folks who are looking at designing tech solutions because in their mind, they think something just makes perfect sense and looks great. But in fact, the people who actually are intended to use it don't think that way. Which is why I think it's really important when you're developing a tech solution is to involve ideal users from the get-go. In other words, make them part of the testing process, have them look at different potential user interfaces and all of that, because even the best product that can achieve great things, if someone doesn't like how you use it or what's involved to make it work, it's not going to be used. So that's something that's super important. And that's actually in part what one thing that brought me to Bulbag is our inherent focus on users and ensuring that the user experience is top of mind at all times, because at the end of the day, any product really is only as good as those who use it. And so ultimately any product that is good design needs to be designed with the users in mind from the get-go and make it something that is easy for them to use and fits into how they work to begin with. So true. User experience really matters, I think, too. So now we've kind of figured out what the problem definition is, and we have an idea of what the solution might translate into. The next kind of challenge area that we often see is really then how do you define and track what the return on investment looks like, right? Because you've got this technology investment that needs to be made. And a lot of the time there is a divide between what the firm wants, what the firm is willing to pay for, and the problem that they're solving and really how much of a return on investment they're going to get on that upfront outlay of putting a product in. Any tips in that area in terms of how do you define return on investment for a technology investment? And then once you've defined it, how do you track to it to make sure that you're realizing that benefit and holding your vendor accountable, but also holding the firm accountable for the investment that they've made? So those are super important questions. And unfortunately, they aren't ones that are easy to answer because it really is driven by context. Different contexts can define the answer differently. But generally speaking, if I can even generalize, I would say that you really want to look at the problem that you have, how much time it is taking away from doing other things, and then evaluate what that looks like now. And then after you put the tool in place, start measuring the time savings after maybe three months, after six months, after 12 months, compared to how things were before. And use those kinds of measurements to define your return on investment. Keeping in mind that with a lot of technologies, the return is not going to be immediate. It's not going to happen the minute you turn it on because technologies don't tend to just sort of all of a sudden magically work when you turn it on. Even the best computers that work that way, you have to kind of set it up and start making adjustments to it for how you work. And that's true for any type of technology. So when evaluating and considering kind of what the return on investment is going to be, you really have to kind of look at, okay, 
what are the metrics that I want to use to measure that? Is it time saved? Is it deal cycle time? Is it increase in revenue? What are the metrics that you use to define what is good and then use that to help determine what the return on investment is. But again, it's not something that is just going to all of a sudden be magically clear to you after a short period of time. It's probably going to take some time for you to realize the investment. And therefore, that's something to consider when you're evaluating technologies is understand that there's time you invest in buying it, implementing it, setting it up, and then after that, seeing the results. And all that takes X period of time. Excellent. Great suggestions. I think you touched on this a little bit earlier. I'd like to kind of drill into this little bit around technology adoption, right? Because again, like we can have a, a great solution in place and ready to be used, but then sometimes what you see is that the initial adoption rate is good and then it kind of drops off, right? Because maybe the design is not good or whatever. Quite a, a common issue as well in terms of some of the customers that I've had interactions with over the years is that you have a mix of technology awareness, let's classify it as in the lawyer ranks, right? So some people will be very comfortable with technology and almost like kind of the driving force behind putting new solutions in, but they are often mixed with another category of lawyer that's actually, I want pieces of paper on my desk. You know, I want to be able to mark something up with my pen and hand it off to somebody. I don't want, I don't want to be pushed into the electronic world, right? How do you overcome that kind of challenge where you've got that kind of mixed dynamic going on in terms of the types of audience that we're trying to serve? Because sometimes the biggest challenge is the technology solution that may not be one size fits all, right? How do you approach that and any tips or tricks that you can share in this area to making that successful for firms trying to roll out such technology? It starts with kind of understanding where people are in terms of their level of technology aptitude and use. By and large, most people you know, use a computer for some form and fashion. And therefore you can start with that, seeing how they use their computer to begin with, and then just making adjustments to, well, I see you're doing this, but have you thought about doing this, which could make your life a little bit easier, require less clicks and so on. And so I think it starts with kind of allowing for people to make better use of their existing tools that they know, and then moving from there to potential new tools, because you don't all of a sudden want to go from you know, all right, well, I'm using this computer to do X, Y, and Z to say, oh, well, why don't you use this instead, which will completely upend how you operate, how you work, and what's required to get your work done, because that will just result in, I think, resentment and a immediate dislike of whatever the new tool is. A lot of people may say, but the way you're operating right now, you know, that just is just dysfunctional. It's problematic. It's, you know, really wasteful. That may all be true. But you can't just expect people to all of a sudden upend basically everything in terms of how they work just because a new tool has come on to the market and will simply resolve all those problems. They, you know, a potential user may not see things that way. So I think it really starts with meeting people where they are and going from there. And that requires listening and understanding how people operate and the way they think about what they do and how they do it. When I think about the lawyer audience in particular, one of the questions that comes to mind, and maybe this is a bit broad uh, question, but uh, interested to get your view on it. What do lawyers really want in terms of technology enhancing solutions to make their lives easier? What kind of areas would you say are big wins and really no brainers for firms to be considering? So is it around productivity improvement? Is it around the legal research area, process automation? What actually makes a lawyer more effective from a technology perspective? I think ultimately what makes a lawyer more effective is how they are able to meet the needs of their clients. And so tools that really can get at 
meeting the needs of clients in ways that are more economical, that are more tuned to their needs and that require less work on the client's part to sort of figure out what they should do in a given legal situation, the better. That really can define the situation and I think to generalize would be, would be challenging, but it perhaps could be, you know, a research tool that makes finding an answer for a client faster and quicker and they're able to get the information they need in a more accessible way. It could be, you know, the creation of document that they can understand easier and they can use right away. It could be perhaps understanding better potential litigation strategy using uh, litigation analytics and data to drive what the strategy should be in a given litigation. And it really can be all sorts of different things It ultimately, I think it's really just defined by what the needs of the client are, because ultimately, you know, the role of a lawyer really is to help others. And so tools that can best help lawyers help others are the ones that are going to make the biggest uh, difference, which I realize is very easy to say, and perhaps doesn't specifically address your question, but again, it's hard to offer specifics without more context. Maybe we can kind of hone in a little bit about what Malbec does in terms of the contract automation process. Maybe you could give us an example from your product's perspective in terms of how does that assist a law firm do what they need to do more efficiently? Well, first of all, I would say that we do help law firms, but we're primarily aimed at legal departments. But that being said, the way the tool works, and I use it all the time and I love it, is you know, I get a contract in, it has certain clauses that in it, it's been redlined. I can, through the system, respond to those redlines, collaborate with others in other parts of the country who I need input from, whether it's IT or sales or marketing or whomever, they can provide their commentary, their comments, all within the same draft working asynchronously. And then through the system, just send it back to the client and have them review and go back and forth that way. And it's all through the system. So there's no long email threads, no worries about version control because every version is tracked through an audit trail in the system. There's no worries about, oh, well, this version doesn't open on my computer, what have you. The system allows for the document to open up on whatever system you have. And it really allows everything to be done securely in a centralized way and a collaborative way, which is great through a user-centric interface. And also quite frankly, you know, suppose that you are drafting a new agreement and you have certain clauses you want in it, the tool can help you put that agreement together and then send it off for review for someone else and then get it back and then go through the same process I just described. So really it makes contracting a lot easier and a lot less painful and again, gets you away from emails and email threads and all the other painful things that can happen when your email contract versions back and forth to uh, different individuals in and outside of a company. I mean, it sounds awesome because I think everybody can probably relate to a time when they've received a contract and then there's been multiple versions of it flying around and all sorts of mistakes being made. So I can see, see huge value in, in a solution like that really kind of resonates in terms of not just solving some of the process automation side of things, but fundamentally the end client experience is better because they're receiving much, much faster streamlined reactions to the contract phase of the journey that they're on with you. But also it's much easier to work with a company that's using these kind of tools, right? So talking of customer experience and law firms, legal departments, and how they build those kind of relationships, what's your approach to making sure that that really is something that's a focal area for you in terms of the interactions that you have with customers? So I think one of the key ways to build an effective customer relationship is, especially when you're trying to sell on a, a new tool, is to make the case that tool will not require them to reinvent the wheel. In other words, it won't require them to throw out their existing set of tools. Rather, this tool will fit in seamlessly to their existing set of tools. 
And that's one thing Malbec does well, for example, is, you know, we integrate very well with HubSpot, Salesforce, all sorts of other tools that a lot of companies use, and therefore doesn't require them to kind of reinvent how they work and all these other tools and allows for, I would say, a seamless kind of data flow between these different tools, which is very important when you are dealing with contracts that are often complex and require a lot of cross-functional work to be done. Developing a really good customer relationship means listening to their needs, meeting their needs, and taking their feedback. If the customer says, hey, I use this product, it's great, but it really would be nice if we could do this, this, or this, and saying, yes, we're working on that, or yes, we already have this, or thanks for the feedback, we will work on that. You know, that's a great way, I think, to build a relationship because a vendor and a customer shouldn't be a transactional relationship, should be, you know, all right, well, thanks for your money, here's the product, have a good day, see you later. It should be an evolving relationship where there's mutual benefits for both parties. And I think the best vendors out there really take that seriously, invest a lot of time and effort into building those relationships and maintaining them over a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's certain kind of experiences that stand out in my mind. Some of the interactions that I've had with law firms in particular, but some legal departments as well over the years, where there's a distinct difference in terms of how I feel about working with a firm that gives me the right level of attention, that does the follow-ups, that communicates well. It makes a standout difference in terms of that customer experience that you have really draws you back to that same experience again, because you're not having to chase down, you know, updates on your case or whatever the situation might be. But having that proactive element of relationship building, I think makes a huge difference. So totally agree with you on that. If you could kind of pick out one of the the biggest challenges that you've faced in terms of having to overcome something in a role or, or just life generally, it'd be great to kind of hear that in terms of like how you overcame some of those challenges that you experienced either through technology or through some kind of like process reworking or anything like that that might be useful for our audience to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the biggest challenges I have faced being an in-house lawyer has been not tech at all, but been people-based. One of my biggest challenges has been managing people and their expectations and their understanding of kind of what I'm trying to do and why I'm doing it. So one of the things that I have done in my past where I was challenged with this very problem was, you know, we had a very young sales team and they kind of were doing things different ways and didn't really understand what I was doing other than the fact that I was a lawyer, they needed to run things by me. So what I did was I developed a training program to help empower them with respect to why I pushed back that sort of things in our agreement, got them to become more fluent in the templates that we used and why they were set up that way and empower them to also negotiate certain things on their behalf without needing to come to me. And that sped up the deal processes as well. And so in doing that type of training can empower the sales team made for a better relationship between my function and their function. And also allow for better trust and collaboration because everyone knew what everyone else was doing and everyone was transparent about it. So that's really how I overcome that sort of people management problem. I really would encourage other in-house counsel to do that as well, because when you're in-house, business just wants to keep growing and growing and growing. And to do that, you need to sell and sell and sell. And the sales team are all, are on the forefront of do that. And you as the lawyer are kind of you know, a little bit in the background, but your role really can be to empower other functions do their jobs better and by empowering you are making them trust you more and therefore making you more seen as a valued and trusted team member of the business as a whole. I love that. What a different style of communication can make, right? And, and you investing time in training and educating makes a massive difference to close those barriers. That's a really good example. Thank you for sharing that. So an interview would not be an interview without a 
question about pandemic and the impact of pandemics. In your view, how are you seeing that impact the way that you do business today, how you see things in future in terms of, you know, hybrid working, et cetera, and, and building those connections with clients as well, right? Because I, obviously some of that stuff to here to stay for, for the medium term, at least, um, if not the long term. What impacts have you seen and, and how are you handling it from a change control perspective? First of all, it's an evolving world. I think that we have seen a move towards working in more remote, flexible ways. That's, that's one thing. I think we also have seen a need for people to collaborate in ways large and small. And I think that we also have seen kind of a greater emphasis on people's happiness and contentment with what they do, why they do it. And something that all companies are increasingly needing to keep in mind as they seek to not just attract future employees, but also maintain the employees that they do have. So I think that the pandemic has certainly brought about uh, a shift in how we think about kind of what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. You kind of touched on health and mental health. So in terms of the world that we now live in, what do you do to keep sane and stay focused from like a mental health perspective? Well, I have two cats at home who keep me uh, very busy and entertained. I also just, you know, at the end of the day, I may be working from home, but I also make sure that I get away from work and just watch mindless TV shows or what have you, or play video game. I happen to be a big video gamer to just kind of take my mind off of things and relax a little bit. And I think that that has gotten easier as this pandemic has gone on and on, because certainly it was, I think, harder for me to relax and adjust in the early days of this when things were a little more um, uncertain and a little more in flux. Any tips on good games to play for people who are getting into the gaming world? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, such a wide variety. I happen to be a fan of uh, big open world role-playing games. So like Fallout 4 or Skyrim or The Witcher Wild Hunt. I also just recently got into some horror survivalist games like uh, Resident Evil, which is very amusing and fun. And for someone who likes horror, not all that scary, but nevertheless entertaining. So there's a lot of different games out there for, for different people. Have you ventured into the world of VR, uh, virtual reality games yet? Like with the Oculus? I have not primarily just because first of all, the equipment for it is fairly expensive, number one. And number two, I don't see there being a whole lot of immediate use cases. I mean, certainly, you know, the metaverse and, and Web3 exist and they're, uh, I think, growing in, in importance in some ways, but I'm still seeking for it to be a little more part of the normal way of doing business before I invest in the equipment needed to do that. I'm all for it. I'm certainly not against it. I just think that we're really at the very forefront of something that is an important aspect of, of doing business. Agreed. It's a big investment of both money and time if it's not quite there yet, but some exciting potential there, I think, definitely. So I'm just going to move to our wrap up. So there's just the final three questions that I like to wrap up with. Um, the first is, and this is based on the assumption that you know who Doctor Who is and his time machine, but if you could borrow Doctor Who's time machine and go back and visit Colin at 18 years old, what advice would you give him? I would tell him to Stress out less and worry less about what other people think about it. Excellent. Good, good. If you were given the budget for one piece of technology to implement at a law firm or a legal department, what would it be and why? Probably document automation, which would allow for just the easier creation of documents, both simple and complex, and would 
allow for that sort of time of consuming work to be done faster and easier and freeing up time to spend on more strategic initiatives. Fantastic. And final one, tell me about the most influential person in your life and how they impacted you. It's a really, really good question. You know, I think this is personal for me, but I would say that my husband is probably the most influential person in my life at this point, because he has helped me challenge my own perspective, who I am, what I want to do, why I do it. And he's always constantly challenging my opinions and how I think about things and that I appreciate because it helps me grow as a person. That's beautiful. Really, really nice to hear. Glad and glad you found each other. So Colin, thank you very much for spending some time with me today. It's been really good to kind of get to know you a little bit better and get your thoughts on the legal technology space. And um, for those who are interested in following your blog and follow you, maybe you could just walk us through how they can find you. Absolutely. So they can follow me on Twitter at clevy underscore law, that's C-L-E-V-Y underscore L-A-W. They can also find me on LinkedIn under my name. They can go to my website, colonistlevy.com. And if they happen to be working for a legal department who are having issues managing their contracts thoroughly, I would encourage you to check us out at Mulbeck. That is uh, Mulbeck.io, M-A-L-B-E-K.io. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Colin. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you.